Shalom, and this is finally the Parsha Get You Some for Parsha Balak. And yes, the name for this drosh is called Balak Party. So, without further ado, uh, with the help of Hashem, I will be basically giving uh, some insights from the birth of the Mashiach, uh, via the star that's talked about in this parasha and the birth of Moshe and Abraham because those are all synonymous and then with the help of Hashem I will get to dive into some of the insights from the incident at Shatim with the tents that were uh, very very corrupt and disturbing but there's a lot that we need to glean from, from that, which happens at the end of this parasha, which is the beginning of Pinchas, uh, as far as his rise to being a Kohen. And uh, there's just really a whole bunch of story time that needs to happen for who is Balak and who is Bilam and what in the world is going on and why is this guy so back and forth? Speaking of Bilam, because it seems like he's a righteous guy, then it's like, well, is he? And then it's just like, well, you don't really know much about him unless you really connect all of the parts of the Bible together. Because Bilam is actually mentioned in Revelation and uh, in other places. So you kind of need some help with that, which will come via the Jewish sources which are the things that Hashem has granted to us. So let's, without further ado, get going, get comfortable, suit up, and we got a lot to go. So here we go. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, Asher bakarbanu mikol hamim, Venatan lanu et torato, Baruch atah Adonai, Noten haTorah. Amen. Amen. Okay, so part one. Let's talk about Balach and let's talk about Bilam. So this is everything about the two B's. All right. And uh, they are not uh, friends of God or Israel, which is kind of like saying the same thing. But I digress. I'm just going to pick up in the middle of Midrash because I have lots of sources on this table and I don't know which one to start with and I'm just getting assaulted with all these insights. So this is just randomly going to start happening, but we're in Bami Bar, Perek, um, Kaf Bet, okay, 22, Bami Bar 22. So you can kind of pick up and see the first couple of verses talking about what Balak saw. And this is the beginning of the Balak party. And interestingly enough, it goes all the way back to last week's Torah portion. When I talked about the Midrash of the two mountains, like there was one side that had caves. And then there was another side that had like jagged uh, protrusions. So, and then there was a valley in between. The children of Israel are just kind of walking along. You know, I'm a friend of God, literally, because they are. They're in Mashiach, because that's what the encampment represents. So being in Mashiach is walking as a Jew and being in the clouds of glory and filled with the Spirit and following the Torah, eating the manna, which is the flesh and the blood of Mashiach Yeshua, all that's happening, and there are some nations, some Emirates and Ammonites that are getting ready to straight up assault these people. And they're just kind of going along, you know, and the rock is just rolling with them and everything is happening. And all of a sudden, these two nations of people that have their armies and their soldiers ready for action... There's one side that's hiding out in the caves. There's the other side that's hiding out in the cliffs. And they're like, as soon as the children of Israel come strolling through, because they're not paying attention, because they're so preoccupied with Hashem, that we're just going to attack them. 
But here's the thing. So remember how we talked about in the Or HaChaim that the clouds of glory, which also represent Mashiach, because the word cloud is also a name for Mashiach. So being in Mashiach, that's what that means. By the way, the clouds were made of fire and water. Talked about that as well. That's Or HaChaim and uh, Shemot, uh, Beshalach and Yitro and all those different Torah portions there talking about the encampments in the wilderness. The thing is, these clouds made level and straight paths for the people without them even noticing because they're in this place where there is no darkness, where temperature is perfect, where their clothes and their shoes are not wearing out. Everything is miraculous and they're just kind of strolling along and they're going and here comes the valley. And so the clouds are like, oh, there's a enemies up there. Okay, we got to the left and to the right. These people are not supposed to turn to the left or the right. They're supposed to stay on a straight and narrow path. Path so narrow, but if I take them on this straight and narrow path, right now they're going to get attacked. So I need to fix the straight and narrow path, and I'm going to guard the path with the flaming sword. Like, I don't know, like what happened in Bereshit, which when Adam and Hava were expelled from the garden, that there was an angel placed on the way to the garden, to the tree of life, like that whole path to get back to the, to the garden. There was an angel with a flaming sword placed there. So that's what we are granted with the Torah. So as we're walking literally on the way, the truth and the life, we're instead of now being impeded by this flaming sword, because we say, because we have received the mind of Hashem, i.e. the Torah, because we've been filled with the Ruach HaKodesh, because we've been brought from death into life, which is why the flaming sword was placed to keep us out of the garden, because we were filled with death. And had we eaten from the tree of life, we would have lived forever in this corrupt state. So now that was once that which was once against us is now with us because we who were once against Hashem are now with Hashem. Bezrat Hashem. How do you know you're with Hashem? Well, namely, you would walk as a Jew. What is a Jew? Oh, my goodness. Because sometimes when you bring up the word Jew, that's like a hot word. It's like, oh, my goodness. Those people don't believe in, in Yeshua. And obviously people say J-E-S-U-S, and that's an issue because that's not really his name. And, you know, quite frankly, as a Lapid Jew, I do not believe in J-E-S-U-S because if I believed in J-E-S-U-S, that would mean that I believe in the Torah being abolished. Chas v'shalom. That would, that would make me believe that I'm a Christian. Chas v'shalom. That would make me believe that my religion started kind of with the death of Messiah Yeshua, but not really because there's this guy named Paul that came later who apparently just runs everything because all of my thoughts and doctrines and theologies are based off of whatever he says. Forget about what Yeshua says. Forget about what Isaiah says. Forget about what King David says. Definitely forget about what Abraham said. Even though Paul says that those who are followers of Yeshua are sons of Abraham, but it's like being a child in the home of a father and you're like disobedient. You're like, yeah, dad, I know you believe this, this and this, but you know, I'm not going to do that. Why would I do that? That would make me a Jew. I don't want to be a Jew. I want to be a Christian. And it's just kind of like, ooh, that's pretty bad. So anyway, um, that's the baggage that comes along with that name. And by the way, as if I have not said it enough, that's not the Messiah's name. I mean, really, if you think about it, the English language is the language that we get J-E-S-U-S. And no other language is that his name. Now, I know you may say Jesus and things like that. Well, yeah, Jesus is not really J-E-S-U-S because if you think about when did the J come into the English language? Well, at this point, about 400 to 500 years ago. So what were people calling Messiah like before that? 
And furthermore, English wasn't this predominant language. So for staking claim and whole faith and whole life and family traditions and lineage off of this name that is not very old, and that's also like four steps removed at least from the Messiah's original name, that's an issue. And as well as if there is any other deity, we're totally fine with calling another deity by his home name, like his native name, you know, like Shmuda or Shmeester, because by the way, that resurrection bunny holiday, that's the name of a deity. That's not the name of a holiday. So just pointing that out. But you got all this going on and it's just kind of like, yeah, we're totally cool with that because, you know, J.E.S.U.S. set us free and we're not slaves to the law anymore and we're filled with the spirit. And the question is, what spirit is that? Because the thing that we learn about Balaam is Balaam was also filled with the spirit. Balaam had amazing gifts, which, by the way, his name in English is Balaam. So if you see Balaam, the guy who rides the donkey, I mean, that's completely the uh, opposite, the 180, the inverse of Mashiach Yeshua who comes in riding on a donkey. Because if you put the two donkey riders side by side, as if there could be a comparison, but for the sake of concept, if you put Bilam and Yeshua and Bilam on his donkey and Yeshua on his donkey, then you got this picture of what's supposed to be a messianic prophecy. So the thing is, is what Messiah do you want? Do you want a spirit-filled Messiah who's anti-Torah, anti-Jewish, wants to wipe out everything Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the Hebrews, the God of the Israelites? Do you want to wipe that? You want that Messiah or do you want the true Messiah? I kind of feel like this is weird, like this has happened before, like somewhere where, you know, there was a guy named Pilate and he had like Barabbas and he had Yeshua and like he was like, which one do you want to let go free? And they're like, we'll take Barabbas. And it's like, well, interestingly enough, if you break down the names of Yeshua HaMashiach, which is Yeshua, the Messiah, or Barabbas, which by the way, his name was also Yeshua. So his name is Yeshua Bar Abba. Instead of Barabbas, it's Bar Abba. That's really, if you get into the Aramaic and look into the deeper insight of his name, his name literally means Yeshua, son of the father. And then you got Yeshua HaMashiach, which is Yeshua, the king of Israel. The thing is, the king of Israel and Judaism teaches or as far as Judaism teaches the king of Israel is called the son of God so it's like really if you say you want Yeshua HaMashiach you're really saying I want the king of Israel the son of God but yet you want to isolate out that the king of Israel is the son of God and you just want to go with the son of the father which is Barabbas which by the way is a really big tie-in all the way back to a well i was gonna say a little known holiday but it should be a bigger known holiday but if you're jewish it's like a really known holiday called the day of atonement aka yom kippur so with that yeshua and yeshua here are the two goats that are brought forth on yom kippur now, I know you're like, this is Pesach, though. And it's like, of course, because the whole thing about Yeshua HaMashiach, all of the Torah is contained within him. Now, that may be a shock and to some, and that may be like, yeah, of course, because he said, I came to fulfill it. I came to fill it up, overflow it, you know, Matthew five seventeen kind of stuff. Uh, or you may say, well, yeah, Yeshua is the living Torah. The word was made flesh. Okay, yes. Okay, cool. But now that everybody's on the same page, this is how it can be Yom Kippur. It can be Pesach all at the same time. Or we can make this Rosh Hashanah or something. You know, we can tie in all of the festivals of Hashem at some point in Yeshua HaMashiach. Because really what went what went up, I was going to say what went down on Pesach, but what went up on Pesach, the 14th of Nisan, and into the 15th of Nisan, for that, mat, for that matter, um, it was really an overlay and a collision of so many different things. And while I'm at it, I might as well just throw in this little swerve. There is a wonderful Rebbe, which I'm going to call Rabbi Chesed. 
Rabbi Chesed is none other than Rabbi Trugman. Get you some. So Rabbi Trugman is doing his thing this week, and he's talking about Tammuz and Av. So uh, he has a wonderful resource called Or Chadash, and he also has an eye-gouging commentary. Literally, it will gouge your eyes out. Oh, we also call him Rabbi Eyegouge. So, uh, because, I mean, you just read his stuff and you're like, what just happened to me? My face and my eye sockets just really, like, hurt, but, like, it's awesome. But then, like, I don't know if I want to cry or laugh or just throw something or just be like, wow, or just like, oh, my goodness. But anyway, I could keep going on with all these different metaphors. But if you read Orchard of Delights, I mean, it will, it truly is a delight of just epicness. So anyway, this guy, that guy goes on this whole thing about time and that time goes in a spiral and that, you know, we could see a picture of time if we look at our solar system because you have the sun in the center of our solar system and it has a gravitational pull so much so that from the sun all the way out to Pluto and yes Pluto is a planet if it's not a planet then I was taught wrong growing up and obviously that goes along with a lot of other stuff that I was taught growing up and probably that uh, are getting adjusted even now that I don't even know of but anyway all these different planets that are going on in our solar system, whether it's Pluto or just before Pluto, um, anyway, it's pulled by the gravitation of the sun. Anything outside of that realm is just kind of doing its thing in its next little galaxy subset. But, you know, so we have this revolving, this rotation that's going on. And so, you know, we're rotating here just on Earth. And then we're rotating around throughout this cosmos. And it's just kind of like we're double spinning, basically. And at some point, we reach the same exact spot in our rotation throughout the years and over time. That at some point, the typical coordinates that we're in, if you could kind of map it out, probably takes a lot of imagination right here because it kind of hurts the brain to think about time like this but you know at some point time comes back to the same spot but the beauty about it or the unfortunateness about it is that you will either be on a higher level than you were before when you were at this previous point in time or you will be on a lower level than before you were at this previous time. So time is revolving around the sun. And oh my goodness, we were doing a bunch of studies this week. And well, that's namely why I've been delayed on these Joshes. But a lot of study this week. And in one of our sources, it talked about how the Torah was like uh, from the core of the sun as far as the manifestation of the tablets i.e. the throne of Hashem, and there's this whole midrash to the midrash about the primordial light that came forth on Yom Echad, or in English, day one of creation. That light was the light of Torah, the light of Messiah, okay, the light of the Word of God that was made flesh. That light was concealed by the sun. So it's really not too much of a step to go, okay, so if the light's concealed, that's like a sheath. So if the Torah comes out of the sun, and I mean, pun intended, obviously, but if the Torah comes out of the sun, it's kind of like, okay, that's kind of crazy, a little bit out there, but all right, you know, but anyway, the point is, is that that's a centralized point. And if you think about Mashiach being the center of everything, you think about the light being the center of everything. You think about the Torah being the center of everything. You think about Hashem being the center of everything, which Hashem is outside of creation all at the same time as well as he fills it up. So there's that. But time just like the planets are revolving around the sun, time is revolving around this centralized point, namely Messiah Yeshua. 
or the word of God. Either way, same thing. And so Truman has this whole epic drosh about that and basically saying that, you know, we're headed into the three weeks right now. The three weeks are typically called the three weeks of mourning. And they start on the 17th of Tammuz, which is the Hebrew month of the summer, typically falls around June, July, which now, you know, that's what's going on. And Sleeka, gonna do this. Okay, Brukashim. So um, everything is kind of going on there. And so with the 17th of Tammuz, all the way to Tisha B'Av, the 9th of Av, there's this whole literally 22 days, like one letter for each day, like Aleph to Tav. So there's this Aleph Tav section, which, by the way, Trugman just went ahead and I gouged us and said that, yeah, so this time frame is just like Rosh Hashanah to Shemini Atzeret. 22 days of get you some. He didn't say get you some. I just added that in there. But literally these three weeks are the same three weeks that we go through in Tishrei. And so... If you look at these two, three weeks periods, they are bookends to a period of teshuva, a repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, if you will, kind of thing. And so you think about after we get out of Tisha B'Av, we go into Tuba B'Av, which is kind of the lifting of the decree of death that happened throughout the wilderness. Because every year in the wilderness, the children of Israel who slandered the land, who were between the ages of 20 and 60, who were the generation that were not allowed to enter the promised land, every year on Tisha B'Av, they would have to go throughout Side the camp, go dig their own grave, lie in it, and they would die there. Because Hashem said, you're going to die in the wilderness, so, you know, you made your bed, lie in it, kind of thing. So that happened until the 40th year, where the after the the final time that they went outside the camp and dug that grave, well, when it was time for them to go into the land, that group that went out, they noticed that they didn't die. And so they're like, surely we'll just wait till, you know, the next night, which would be the 10th of Av. Which, by the way, there's a Talmudic debate about the burning of the temples, the destruction of the temples being 9th, 10th of Av. Like this whole kind of like it started on one day, really took place on the other day as far as like the actual collapse of the building and foundation and things like that. And so they're kind of going through that whole time frame of like, well, we're supposed to die here, you know, because normally on Tisha B'Av, we all die in our graves. Like we noticed that people who went out, they didn't come back. They died. So this group is like, okay, so we're supposed to die. You know, it's our turn. We're kind of the last group here. It's been, you know, another uh, 38 years since the decree. So, you know, the decree came in the second year when they were in the wilderness because the first year they did the golden calf. Second year they slandered the land. Okay, so this is the 17th of Tammuz. And so they're doing all this and it's like, oh my gosh, okay. Uh, The slanderous report happened on um, the 8th into the 9th of Av. And so it was just kind of like the 9th of Av was called a day of weeping. The children of Israel were standing weeping in their tents, uh, the door of their tents, because they're like, we don't get to go into the land. There's giants in the land. We're going to be consumed. We're not going to make it, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And Shem was like, well, you're crying now for no reason because you're not trusting me, but for no reason. And uh, I'll give you something to cry for. This day will be a day of mourning throughout time. Unless, and this is where we're kind of, I kind of backtracked us there. I'm going to come back. So back to Trugman, telling us a lot of information here. But um, Trugman saying, if we t- make Teshuvah, if we repent, our past mistakes and misdeeds now become merits. You know, like time, there's this element where you can be outside of it and you can overturn all of the harsh decrees. And that happens through Teshuvah. And so he was saying, you know, like if we really look at the time we're going into in the future, this three weeks, 17th of Tammuz to the Tisha B'Av, the 9th of Av, it's supposed to be a beautiful, like, amazing time. Because if you think about the precedent that's set in the wilderness, 
the Torah came down with Moshe, which, by the way, might as well go ahead and say some of these crazy Avengers. I think it was Zalman, uh, our Shomer version of the Submariner. Gonna talk about the tablets being a six by six, like cubit type measurement, which basically meant that they're the height of a man. Okay, so like length and width, like make a person, and like that would be a tablet. And then make another person, and that would be a tablet. Because there were two tablets. And we know there are two Mashiachs. So the tablets being like the height of a man, and like Moshe is carrying this, and they're, by the way, they're floating, so he's not really carrying them, even though he's carrying them, which happens with the Ark. So the Ark is supposed to be like super small but it's like the ark now is kind of like a coffin because if you think about the size of the tablets being like a person and the tablets go in the ark the two mashiachs go in an ark they go in something to hold something that is the size of a body so yeah like a burial coffin beer type thing which We'll go all the way back to Parashat Vayaki and Bereshit, which is how we find out the whole layout of the Jewish encampment, which are the 12 sons of Yaakov surrounding Yaakov's body as they are taking his body back to the cave of Machpelah to bury him in the land of Yisrael. And so we can see now that through this insight that we're still looking at a coffin, so we've seen this whole wilderness exodus experience before when Yaakov died, which Yaakov is Jacob, and he was also called the Lamb of God. So you got the Lamb of God in the center of the children of Israel, literally the sons and daughters of Israel of Jacob, because Jacob's other name was Israel. And so you got surrounding the lamb and you're taking him from egypt which was slavery confinement sin bondage death all those euphemisms that's what egypt represents which is mitzrayim in hebrew which means place of confinement and straits which is a perfect place to be born from because when you think about the birth canal for a child they come through this harsh confined uh straight uh place where it's like restriction confinement and they come out and they're here and they're crying and they're freaking out like what just happened who turned on the lights or who turned on these other lights but anyway um so anyway i'm just making a reference here or an illusion that you know coming out of slavery bondage sin and death is being called salvation or you know new life or becoming a newborn babe you know just type in any of those words in a bible search and get you some so anyway, that's all centered around leaving Egypt and going to Israel. Remember, the only ones who are allowed into the land are those who are obedient to Hashem. And if you're obedient to Hashem, that means you're obedient to his word. And if you're obedient to his word, you're obedient to Yeshua. If you're obedient to Yeshua, then you're walking in the spirit. If you're walking in the spirit, then you're walking in the Torah. If you're walking in the Torah, then you're a Jew. And if you're a Jew, then you're called a child of God or a child of Abraham. Okay, just needed to connect all those dots real quick. Now... I don't know how we got all the way there talking about Trugman, but this whole thing about time being this spiral and it's centered, it's like spiraling towards a point. So what is that point? The point is, is that we need to take this time that has normally been national mourning, normally been sackcloth and ashes and Hashem, we danced around the golden calf, Hashem, we slandered the land, Hashem, we didn't believe in you. To be like, no, Hashem, we do believe in you. We do know you will take us into the land. And because you said repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That means if we truly make complete teshuva, which Stav Sodat totally brings down. The only way to make teshuva is with the Torah and Yeshua. Like having those together because you have to lower yourself that he may exalt you. 
you know, and you want to be exalted in the word, but you want to make sure that that exaltation uh, sprouts from a heart of humility, a heart of brokenness and contriteness, because those are the sacrifices of Hashem. So in order for you to fulfill Torah, you have to lower yourself and prostrate yourself before Hashem and say, I am nothing. I have sinned. And he goes, thank you for realizing that. And just because you said you're nothing, I'm not going to make you everything. And that's the beautiful dichotomy of serving Hashem is that when you make yourself nothing, he makes you everything because you have agreed to his will by saying, I take away my will and I accept your will, i.e. not a save nishma. We will do and we will hear. Because you realize the Torah is water and the Torah is fire. And so you're bringing that into your vessel, to your body. So you now become a conduit for the word of God, which is fire and water, which is Yeshua. That's why Yochanan says, the one who comes after me will mikvah you. He will immerse you in fire and water. So I'm just saying, uh, that's all Torah, and that's all Teshuva, and that's all Yeshua, and that's all the Ruach HaKodesh. So we need to take this time that we're headed into and say, Hashem, man, wow, the past has been pretty crazy. And the world has been very, very dark. And things have been very, very corrupt. And people have been very, very anti-Semitic. And there has been a lot of fear from Christians. And there has been a lot of fear in the Jews. And uh, that all needs to stop. And everybody needs to get on the same page. And obviously, through love, not through, you know making people submit and stuff and going crazy and being like, you're sinners, turn or burn, get sanctified or chicken fried. You know, like, what is that? So what am I saying? I'm saying that Trugman gave this wonderful, incredible um, concept about time. That's actually a reality that we're in right now. If we have eyes to see and ears to hear that if we make the greatest level of Teshuva. Because Sanhedrin 98 in the Talmud says that we get to merit as Yehudim, as followers of Yeshua, as people who have been born again, crossed over from death into life, delivered from the kingdom of darkness and brought into his marvelous light. Yes, all of those wonderful verses. If that is you, you have the opportunity to merit, like get the privilege to speed up the time frame to turn this uh, this morning into joy, you know, and turn our current existence where Mashiach is not openly revealed to the world in the Messianic era beginning. We have the ability to overturn this time right now and say, you know what, Hashem, we want Mashiach Yeshua. We want it all. We want you. We want the temple. We want everybody in the land. We want righteousness on the earth we want the nations to every knee shall bow every tongue shall confess we want all of us to get us home so anyway that was some incredible um insights from rabbi chesed and i really hope that we will truly take this time that we're headed into and really just yearn for Hashem and completely say, yes, we accept you. Because that was the other thing. He said, you know, really all of this brokenness came from the fact that we just kind of was like, no, that's too much for us. And you think about what was too much, you know, because they didn't wait for Moshe to come down the mountain. They were having Moshe on a time frame, you know, and Moshe is a picture of Mashiach. You know, and it's just like, if you're going to tell Mashiach that if he is not here and if he is not in place by the time that ticks down on your watch or by the buzzer that goes off on your alarm clock or by the reminder that pops up on your phone as a notification, Mashiach should be here now. If he doesn't meet your requirement and you're going to be like, yep, well, he didn't show up and uh, all hope is lost. So I'll just take this other God over here. 
But, I mean, it won't be another God. It'll just kind of be like a picture of Hashem. So, like, a picture of God, but not really God, but kind of something else. And it's based off of what I learned in the past. Because, by the way, just so y'all know, Pirkei de Rebbe Eliezer brings down the Golden Calf came about through a series of events. Uh, One of them being that they remembered the gods and the parades that happened in the land of Mitzrayim. Then in Mitzrayim, they would have these Macy Day parades. Probably wasn't Macy's, but whatever the Egyptian equivalent is. They would have a parade and they would take all the, the famous gods and parade them through the cities and the towns in Mitzrayim. And they would do all this joyous dancing, and and the Jews are like, what in the world? And so when it came time for them to figure out, well, we need a new Mashiach. I mean, we need a new God. I mean, we need a new leader. Yeah, those are all Freudian slips. Yeah, wink face, quotation mark. I don't know. Anyway, when they wanted that, they said, we want to do like we saw in Egypt, and we want to do it our own style. We want to do it Hebrew style. And so that's how the golden calf came about. They wanted to conjure up something and they sure conjured up some brokenness, that's for sure. And it was not a holy cow. But anyway, bucking in the wrong direction, we go back to Rabbi Chesed saying that we don't want to tell Hashem that's too much for us. We don't want our vessels to continue to stay broken. Because the beautiful thing about what Mashiach actually did on the crucifixion stake and what he did in his resurrection was gave us the new vessels and began the process of undoing what the first Adam did, what the first Adam undid, I should say, because what we were before the fall is we were completely like spiritual, physical beings with no sin and like we would live forever. And it's just kind of like, We'd be with Hashem and we fully comprehend and fully know and we'd have Torah because there is a book that Hashem gave to Adam and that book was Torah and it was like it showed him everything. So that was lost. And so with what Mashiach did, if we accept it, which is the thing, that's what Amuna is all about. That process of sanctification, becoming purified, undoing all the little intricacies. If I could swerve, which there's so much here going on, I don't even know what a swerve would be at this point. But in Avengers Infinity War, I know, I know, I just had to. There is a scene where the sister of Black Panther, her name is Shuri, and she has this holographic view of the Mind Stone inside of Vision's head. And she's like doing all this work where she's like pulling apart like all these different strands of who Vision actually is connected to this Mind Stone to get it to the point where they can safely take out this Mind Stone and Vision can still exist. Now, this just hit me as I'm sharing this. So, I mean, this is just kind of like crazy right now. So, thank you, Hashem, for your kindness because you know I love superheroes and like you're showing me wonderful pictures. Shouts out to Hashem right now, Brooke Shimo. That's what our sin is. Our sin is like the mind stone that's in Vision's head. Because our Yetzahara, which is what either helps us to sin or we can cause that to submit to the godly spirit and inclination in us to help us in Kedushah and holiness and observing the mitzvot. But if we don't bring it unto um, submission, if we don't beat our bodies into submission, this Yetzirah is like that mind stone that's controlling us and it's like so ingrained in us and it's got to be extracted out. And so, but anyway, back to the point. So Shuri is pulling apart all these different strands. That's what Mashiach has done, is doing, and will do. And it will ultimately be extracted from us because, you know, we're going to be completely resurrected in a new form. But right now we're going through this process of processing out that which 
was brought into us because everything was external from us before the knowledge of good and evil was partaken of because we were with Hashem. He brought us forth. It was just like, cool, walk with me. You're you're without spot. You're without blemish. You're covered in light. Baruch Hashem. You're in the garden studying Torah. You're having all these amazing insights. But all of a sudden you just think, oh, I need this over here because serpent so-and-so said, you know, and it's just like, so you're going to really take advice from a snake? And it's just like, well, yeah, he has the same gematria as Mashiach. So, I mean... Whose mouth are we going to go with? The mouth that bites us and injects poison or the, or the mouth that bites us and injects life? But anyway, that extraction process is happening right now. And that's what we need to really key in on is all of those little intricacies that are going on. What's making us angry? What's making us get all into different forms of idolatry? What's holding us back from truly trusting and relying on Hashem completely without reserve, without hesitation? You know, because we we know that God is like beyond creation and he can do anything at any moment. But yet when we experience trials and struggles and tribulations of all kinds, we freak all the way out. And it's like, why are you freaking out? Like, why do you have little faith? Oh, wait, did this happen on a boat when Yeshua was sleeping and a bunch of fishermen who were experienced were on this boat too? And the storm started on the lake or the sea. And they're like, what in the world? How's Yeshua sleeping through this? We're perishing. And they're like going down there like, don't you care that we're perishing? And he wakes up and he's like, oh, easy big fellow talking to his horse because the wind and the waves or the wind and the tempest is through jewish midrash called the horse of hashem so the horse was like why is my master sleeping this is so exciting this is great you know he's here i'm here this is wonderful oh wait did we just liken yeshua to hashem well when hashem himself comes into creation as well as remains outside of it that's what yeshua is i mean he's that picture of the part of hashem that's in creation so he's an extension this is why i love how the or hachaim boy i haven't touched any of my books they're just sitting here open like what are you doing man but anyway the or hachaim talking about how yosef resembled yaakov or yisrael there it is. Yosef is like Yisrael. They look alike. So if you've seen Yosef, you've seen Yisrael. If you've seen Yisrael, you've seen Yosef. So wait, Mashiach is called Messiah ben Yosef, i.e. a descendant of Yosef, which means an extension of Yosef. So if you've seen Mashiach, you've seen Yosef, you've seen Yisrael. If you've seen Yisrael, you've seen Yosef, you've seen Mashiach. Okay, so now it's clear. Isaiah 53 is really about Mashiach Yisrael because they're they look alike and Yisrael is literally the body of many members and the body of many members is called Mashiach that's why we're all one in Mashiach because we're in his body now one in Mashiach means that you're Jewish doesn't mean that you're Christian it doesn't mean that you're a pagan which pagan is the word that would mean Gentile. So if you are celebrating anything other than what's in the Torah, what's in Jewish literature as holidays and family traditions, as far as, you know, like Hanukkahs and Arab Shabbats and things like that, if you're doing other stuff outside of that and not eating kosher and all that kind of stuff, uh, yeah, you're kind of like not in Mashiach. So this is kind of a uh, wake up and, hey, you know, did you know? And a doom, 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 the more you know segment. It's not to bring condemnation because there is no condemnation for those who are in Mashiach. And no, I am not awkwardly backtracking or awkwardly moonwalking. I'm just letting everyone know that if you didn't know, now you do know. So now we have to make some steps in the right direction. So, Step carefully and walk in Messiah, who will keep you and guard you on the way to the tree of life. And so take your steps if you have not been Jewish and if you've been walking in Christianity and if you've been doing anything other than Judaism that believes in Mashiach. And if you've been not really following Mashiach, not really studying Torah, not observing the Shabbat, 
now make some steps and talk about it. Seek Hashem, get yourself a rabbi, and okay. But anyway, back to the point, which is that, you know, through Mashiach, everything is getting worked out and undone in us. And so literally for this time that has been historically just very hard, tragic and rough on us. If we make Teshuva, we all truly pull together in Mashiach and really cry out and scream to Hashem. We're at, literally at screaming level because the darkness is so ridiculous right now. The corruption is so crazy right now that you just got to scream. And at some point, it's just like, Hashem, oh my word, if someone don't turn on a light, please. I'm just, oh my word. So anyway, everybody. Just uh, let's all get us some as we head into this three weeks. So 17th of Tammuz, instead of the Torah coming down and being found dancing around a golden calf, let the Torah come down and us being ready with oils in our lamps, with our garments cleansed and purified, which your garments are your thoughts, your speech and your deed. So cleanse all that through the waters uh, and the fire of Torah. That's what purifies us, which is Mashiach. So be found in Mashiach, spotless and blameless to that day. Oh my goodness, is that in Yehuda, a.k.a. Jude? Man, that's crazy. Who would have thought? But uh, yeah, so he's able to present you blameless and faultless before the presence of his glory. Yeah, that thing. Okay, so... Um, we have to be ready, waiting, because at any moment he could come and it's like, though he tarries, we will wait, which is tacooning for the fact that we danced around the golden calf before, but now we've kicked the calf and we buried it and we're like, Hashem, we ain't hungry. Oh, well, we are hungry, but we'd rather wait for you than, um, you know, think about filling our own bellies with our own desires. We're going to stand here and wait, even if it takes all night. So here we are, just like the virgins, the parable uh, from the Gospels, where it says that the the virgins are waiting with lamps and oils and they're ready for the reserve in their lamps. Because when that door opens and the bridegroom is ready, you know, it's just kind of like, woohoo, let's go. You know, so that's a, a met elucidation to that parable but you get the point is that we need to be waiting on Hashem and being like Hashem we want whatever you're going to bring us because our vessel is finally ready we finally have the amuna that we once lacked because we've made teshuva and so now what was broken is now fixed and then it's also upgraded you know if you could think about the fact that you know something that you did caused such destruction and if you could undo that destruction, but in that undoing of that destruction, you actually made it better. So it was as if there was no destruction and then some, you know, it's just kind of like, wow, because that's crazy. Because you realize that the level we get to attain now in Mashiach Yeshua is going to be greater than the first Adam in the garden. I mean, we're going to be seated in the heavenlies here, but we got to go through this time of suffering and work it all out and things, obviously. But I mean, the greater glory that is ahead of us, that's not worthy to be it's not worthy to be compared to these times. So we got to think about all these things, you know, and so 17th of Tammuz, that's the beginning of these three weeks, i.e. the 22 days, i.e. the Aleph to Tav of this time frame. So if you take this Aleph, which is the beginning, that's the letter that if you added that into the word Gola, which is the word for exile, and if you added the Aleph into Gola, it becomes Geula, which means the redemption. So if we start out with saying, you know, Hashem, we take our new vessels, we take our Teshuvah, and we say, give us Torah, give us Yeshua, bring our Redeemer on the clouds of glory. Which, by the way, the clouds of glory are the smoke and the fragrant aroma and incense from Yom Kippur, from the Day of Atonement. You know, the whole thing where the smoke goes up before the parochid, and then the Kohen Gadol can enter into the Holy of Holies, and there's all this smoke and incense. Yeah, so that's our prayers. That's our Teshuvah. That becomes the roof 
of our suka, which is why you have to be able to see through it because smoke kind of has a see-through but not really kind of feel, which is like the roof of the suka. So this is all Hasidic teaching right now. It's in the Kehot Humash and overviews and all that kind of stuff on the festivals. So study Sukkot, study Yom Kippur, and you can find all this information. I'm not making it up. No MSU here. I'm Shomer Man. I ain't got time for that. But anyway, um, so the clouds of glory is what the return of Messiah can be if we merit it. It says he will either come poor and riding on a donkey if we don't merit it. Again, back to Sanhedrin 98. Or he can come on the clouds of glory, which would be our Sukkot, which is made by our prayers, made by our Teshuvah, made by us accepting and receiving our atonement and using it for what it is, which is not a pretext for sin. Our atonement and our Teshuvah and our redemption and our newness is to bring in the kingdom of God upon the earth to make that which is in the highest of the heavenlies manifest here in the lowest of the worlds into physical mundane crazy monday through friday and shabbat type atmosphere oh i left out sunday sleeka sunday through friday and shabbat type atmosphere i also known as the seven days also known as the week also known as time so that's the olive and then if you go all the way to the Tav, Tisha B'Av, the day that is destruction would actually be the day that is the completion of that which is destroyed, which is the building of the third temple speedily and soon in our days. So that's what can happen if we make Teshuva and all of that wonderfulness and accept the true work of Mashiach and being grateful that we have this ability. So... I was supposed to be talking about the two B's, Bilam and Balak, and um, I have been blocked from doing that uh, for this segment. So we're going to take a quick break and go into actual Midrash because, again, like I said, I got these sources open on little things that I want to share, and then like I need to get back on track and share these background stories with Balak and Bilam. So, with the help of Hashem, after these messages, or lack thereof, I should say, but after this little break, we'll be right back, and we're still going to get us some. Okay, so Baruch Hashem. <laughs> 